Well, it's a real privilege to have uh, Joseph Mueller here this morning, um, all the way from Kitwe in uh, Zambia, part of Africa. Um, so uh, um, Joseph will share a little bit about himself, probably, and also really share the Word of God. Joseph, very much as part of our Christ Central New Frontiers team, he uh, has apostolic oversight over at least 40 churches in Zambia and the Zambia region. And, um, you know, I, what I love about these, these mornings that we come together and celebrate, it's never as you're expected. It's never what you expect. Yeah? And that's partly because we worship as a church of many nations, many cultures, many people brought in to this one community of God. And so I, ju- I just love being at this church, and I love being surprised week by week. And it's a real privilege now to welcome Joseph Mwila, all the way from Zambia. Big hand, a big round of applause. Come on. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, church. As we say in Zambia, I greet you in the name of Jesus. I'm very happy to be here this morning. I've heard a lot of wonderful things about Teesside, but I've never been uh, here before. So it's wonderful to be here, to be able to share with you some of the things that God is doing uh, out in Africa, but also to enjoy our partnership together. Um, Let me just begin by saying a big thank you to Raj and the whole leadership for uh, the opportunity to come and uh, share with you this morning. Um, uh, If you are like me when we have a speaker we've never heard before, we can't pronounce their surname. I sit there and I think... What is coming next? But uh, I pray that as brothers and sisters we'll be able to share together. Let me just say a big thank you to the leadership for the opportunity. And uh, also uh, a good thank you to, to Jonathan and Angela for keeping me up in their lovely place. Great hospitality. Uh, a few things I've heard about uh, Jubilee that has really encouraged me and I've been looking forward to this. Uh, we've been talking with the leadership here sharing some of the things we've been doing in Africa and how we can plug into that and encourage the church. Uh, but also from Jeremy, may I say a big thank you to Jubilee Church here at Teesside for giving us Jeremy. Oh, I thought he came from here, did he? Okay. So uh, he's been to Zambia a number of times and he's been serving us very well. Uh, him and Anne have come and even this past summer we had a wonderful, wonderful time uh, uh, graduating some of our leaders in a school of leadership as well as encouraging uh, African leaders as we raise leaders for the next generation of what God is doing in Zambia and uh, beyond. Also, uh, it's been a joy to connect with some of the things we've been doing in Tanzania. I, uh, I met Paul Woodward before and sharing with him as well as uh, later on, uh, the team here and some of the staff in Mbea, I know that's moving on, but uh, on a broad African level, we just want to say thank you to you all, uh, Jubilee, for your big heart. Uh, beyond Teesside to the nations. I thought you'd give yourself a little clap, but <laughs> maybe I should be clapping for you. Uh, you are a great church. Uh, For many churches, there's enough in their own community to deal with. Uh, But Jubilee, beyond our own challenges in this community, you've been such a blessing to many other situations. Uh, Us in Africa, we're just hearing about Turkey. I heard something about Ethiopia. I met some friends from Ghana. Uh, My friend Michael connecting to this great church. Uh, if we're, maybe if I was staying in the UK, I probably would consider being part of this great church. <laughs> You're doing good. I'm invited to come. Yeah, I'll pray about that. <laughs> yeah, if Africa is underrepresented. Maybe I should come. And <laughs> so well done, Jubilee. And uh, a little bit about myself before I go to the message. I'm Joseph Mwila. I'm married to Lillian. We've got four kids. Uh, Joshua is 23, Nathan is 19, 
and uh, Victor is 14, and little Esther, our only girl, is six years old. Uh, don't take me for those years. They probably are wrong, but my wife is not here to correct me, so they are right. Um, so we live in a little town called Kitwe, which is to the north of Zambia. Just for your geography, Zambia is in Central Africa. Next to our northeast is Tanzania, um, which you could have heard a, a, a quite, quite a number of stories. We are landlocked, uh, and to our south is uh, Zimbabwe, which is to the north of South Africa. So South Africa, everybody knows South Africa, north is Zimbabwe, then Zambia. So we're right in the center uh, of that. And if somebody's asking where South Africa is, uh, we can't help you on that one because uh, <laughs> I think everybody knows where South Africa is, I think. Uh, that's what I'm told. Uh, so what we have been working in Zambia personally for the last 20 years as a minister. I, uh, originally, my background is a scientist. I actually did chemistry. Um, I got my PhD from Manchester University right here. So I'm very grateful to the UK for a good education. And um, after my PhD, I worked for BP and Dunlop uh, in senior management. And um, during that time, we were involved in a local church and in Christian uh, God, uh, leadership responsibility. Grew up to be the administrator of the church and later on laid it. We moved on to the next town when I changed jobs to BP. And uh, we had an opportunity of leading a small church. Um, uh, not that we wanted to lead. I was there because I had a job. And uh, after about 18 months, that church grew from 20 people to about uh, 300. So the overseer was quite impressed. Uh, nothing to do with us, I told him. This is just God. You know, God has a way of taking care of his church. Now, Jesus says, I am building my church. And in my Bible, I have underlined my, because this is his church. And you know, for us as church leaders, that's something very nice to remember all the time. It's not my church. And if, my, if the church goes in a mess, it is his church after all. He will come and sort out. It is his church. You know, it's so, it's, it's so encouraging as church leaders, isn't it, to realize that actually I'm not the Holy Spirit and I'm not God. Uh, and, and, and therefore, I can lead the church without having to feel like everything depends on me. Amen. Is that okay to say that? Uh, God is in charge, and I believe God is in charge here at Jubilee. Hallelujah. And so the church grew, which was great, and um, uh, my overseer was very impressed. So uh, at that time, we were seriously thinking about full-time ministry. So I had just stopped working for BP, who wanted me to go to Cape Town and spend some time there and be part of the next generation of African uh, uh, business leaders, but God had other plans. And uh, we went full-time for the church instead and uh, ended up serving in a church in Lusaka, which had about 3,000 members. So it was a very big church, and it was an opportunity to learn. Uh, but there was something missing. We felt that um, the church was quite hierarchical, quite driven from the top, and we just felt we needed, we felt the Lord calling us back to our hometown in Kitwe. So we went back in 2002 and started a church called Dayspring uh, Worship Center, which is the church we lead. And out of that, uh, over the last uh, 14 years, uh, uh, by the grace of God, we've had about 13 churches planted out of that base around um, the north of Zambia and then later on uh, spreading into into the rest of uh, Zambia. Um, our journey into New Frontiers has been very exciting because during my student days I attended the COIN in uh, Woking, yeah, in, in the south of England, and uh, really enjoyed uh, life in the Word, life in the Spirit. And um, when we started this church in Zambia, we just felt we needed to connect. So to make the long story short, um, I came back in 2004 uh, preaching in a church somewhere in Bolton and I met a wonderful man 
uh, who's now leading the Bolton Family Church. His name is Rob Coleman. Some of you may know him. And um, uh, he got interested in what we're doing in Zambia and helped us walk through becoming part of New Frontiers. Met Simon Pettit uh, uh, the following year, uh, 2004, and we ended up uh, in South Africa eventually. Uh, unfortunately, after Simon had died, but he introduced us to what New Frontiers is. In 2011, um, after the sphericalization, what's the word? <laughs> after the introduction of spheres, am I too fast for the interpreters? <laughs> I've just remembered I need to slow down. Okay, so after that, uh, I was asked if I could help lead the New Frontiers churches in Zambia and Central Africa. Uh, a big responsibility indeed. So in 2013, that from 2013 to date, that's what we've been doing. We are helping lead. I'm leading a team that's serving our churches. There are about 40 New Frontiers churches in Zambia and more interested to become New Frontiers in Tanzania, Tanzania, uh, we have a couple of churches, as well as churches interested in Kenya. Some of you obviously know Edward Burea, who is up in Meru, but there are other churches that are, are interested. So working with Jeremy, uh, with uh, Christ Central, we are uh, really gathering leaders interested to push the gospel in our part of the world. And... Uh, Christ Central Africa. So we value your prayers, we value your support and partnership. As I said, I'm so impressed just to be here, feel so blessed to be speaking in a church that is so engaged, not only with what's going on here in Seaside, but with a deep interest with what God is doing in the nations. Amen. Um, I'm sorry, do you say amen here? We do that in Africa a bit. Oh, right, okay. In Africa, we do responsive preaching. So I say amen, you say amen. Or if you like something I say, you say amen. That's okay, is that all right? Just for this morning. All right. Uh, if you've got your Bible, turn with me to the book of Mark, chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Now, you have an African preacher this morning, so, uh, yeah, so, uh, I was preaching at, uh, at Crowley last week, and they told me, uh, uh, Joseph, just go for it. We have time. I said, you don't know what you're talking about. This is an African speaker. <laughs> In Africa, we have time. In the UK, uh, you have time. Um, Mark chapter 1, verse 32. And uh, uh, probably you see that. I've got a very interesting topic this morning, which I need to explain to you uh, after we've read the text. Before we read, can we just pray for a moment? Father God, we thank you for your word. You've exalted your word above your name. This morning, Father, as we gather around your word, we thank you because you are a God who keeps your promises. You are exalted in heaven. You rule in power and majesty. You've not left us to our own circumstances. This morning, God, as we look into your word, we will be assured of your faithfulness. We will be reminded of the journey in which we are in an adventure of faith with you. We thank you, Lord, whatever challenges each one of us may be going through. You've assured us of your victory through the cross because we are more than conquerors through him who died for us. So speak to us and bless your word to our hearts. In Jesus' name we've prayed. Amen. Amen. Let's read scriptures from uh, Mark chapter 1. I'm enjoying Mark because we're trying to walk through with the Lord in terms of his life and uh, uh, the legacy of victory and uh, breakthrough that he left for us. Verse 32. That evening, it says, at sunset, the people brought 
to Jesus, all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Um, please take note of that. They knew who he was. Isn't that interesting? The demons knew who Jesus was. Um, um, we'll come back to that in a moment. And then, verse 35, the next day, early in the morning, while it was dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, Everyone is looking for you. Then verse 38. If you don't mind, we can read verse 38 together. Is that all right? Let's read together verse 38. Uh, together. Now, you can't see verse 38 there, can you? Oh, that's the one, huh? You, you, well, whatever it says in your Bible, let's just read verse 38. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. That is why I came. Now, I'll read that verse in the KJV for those who have got the King James Version. It says, And Jesus said to them, Let us go unto the next town. Uh, unto where? Next town. Say to your neighbor, next town. I apologize, I'm in the UK. I need to remember, you don't talk to each other when you're listening to us speak. <laughs> we do that a lot in Africa, partly to keep each other awake. Um, let us go to the next town. Why? In the KJV, it says this. It says that I may preach there also, for this is why I came. This is why I came. That would be a key verse because I think Jesus, if I was in a company, would say he's giving a corporate direction. Uh, I'm in church, I'll say he's giving a, 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 a directional statement. Uh, there are circumstances that are going on around him and then he's going to get to a place where he states what should be happening. And, uh, beloved, there are times in your life where you've got to restate again where your life is headed. Circumstances change. You're challenged. Even as I'm speaking to you, some of you are going through situations that are demanding that you make some directional restatements of what your life is about. Sometimes it's the church. Church is a journey. You may get to a place where as a church we have to restate again who we are and where we are going. And you know, we shouldn't be afraid because Jesus does that. Because we have a situation here where certain things have happened. Some very good. In fact, most of it very good. And now people are having their own opinion as to what should happen next. The disciples are on one side and they are suggesting that we go back to yesterday because people are looking for you. After all, there is a revival in the city. You remember what's happening in verse 32? People were being brought to Jesus. People were being healed. Demons were being cast out. And then there is this statement that the whole town was gathered. Let's just pause and think about that for a moment. You know, imagine the whole, not just the whole uh, uh, meters, but the whole Teesside gathering around here. We always won't have enough room. I don't know if you imagine that sometimes. You know, people at the moment who are playing golf, some have gone shopping this morning. It's a Sunday morning. People are doing all sorts of things. Can you imagine for a moment the whole town gathering? Okay. Uh, I know you could say, well, that was a village, that was a small thing. But just for a moment, everybody in the town coming. You know, 
that's a good place to be. I mean, that's a lovely place for a church leader to be. You think, yes, we are there. And uh, the disciples are having a good time. Not only did the, disciple, the, the village come, but people were being healed. People were being delivered. I'll come back to that in a moment. So things are happening. Before I move on, that's the model of church. How many of us would love the whole, or not the whole seaside, but at least a lot of people to turn up here? I know I've been to churches where they say, no, we're okay. More people is too much work. But you know, more people need to hear the word of God. As people gathered, there was a revival. That's our legacy. Our legacy is that people are looking for something. I mean, people have woken up this morning looking for something meaningful in their lives. May they find Jubilee where they can find Jesus. We pray and declare that may they be drawn to the life that we carry here. Can I hear the man from somewhere? So this was a good day. It reminds us people are hungry. And when they came, things were happening. There was healing, there was deliverance, and Jesus preached the word. And then in the morning, we are told Jesus decided that they should go somewhere else. Isn't that amazing? The disciples came looking for him and said, Look, people are looking for you. I'm sure there were a lot of people who heard about the healing. And then they came, thinking Jesus will continue. And then they found Jesus had changed gear. They said, we are going some, to the next town. Because that's why I came. I hope you get the picture. And my focus this morning is on those words in verse 38. Because what Jesus is saying is restating the fact is that whatever is going on, I am on mission. I am on mission to preach the gospel. And I am on mission to see people healed. What I'm asking you this morning as we think through in the next few minutes is this. What is your next town? Beloved, all of us are with Jesus on the journey. And whatever is going on in your life, good or bad, there is a journey you are on with God. So I'm using the phrase next time, next town to mean the next phase of your journey with God. Hello? Even for, for Jubilee Church, the next town is what's the next thing that God is calling us to. I know we would have seen lovely days like the night before for Jesus. People heal, people come, things are happening. This is great. But you know, in the journey we are on with God, God is on the move. And so whether we like it or not, churches will move on. And individuals, God calls us to move on. Ask your neighbor, what's your next town? I know that looks a bit embarrassing. Uh, but the question is, what is the next town? What each one of us, there is a next town that God is calling us, the next thing, the, the next thing, what's the next phase of, of, of our life? For Teesside, as a church here at Jubilee, what is that? Can I engage with the leaders for, for, for a moment and say, there is a next step, the next stage. Can I share something that happened last night? As I was spending a lovely night in uh, at Jonathan uh, and Angela's lovely home. Um, very nice sleep, very quiet. But at about 2 o'clock in the morning, I kind of had an experience which was very interesting. Uh, because I just felt in my spirit that there, is, there was some, a sense of battle. A sense of warfare, a sense of conflict, uh, not on a human level, but more of a spiritual pushback. Uh, and for about uh, an hour and a half, I just found myself kind of like standing in the name of Jesus, pleading the blood of Jesus, and kind of getting little glimpses and pictures of stuff happening in the spirit. I just feel that 
there's a lot of good stuff going on, but forgive me for saying this, but I felt there is a lot of spiritual conflict as well that's been happening. Uh, a little glimpse of battles in the spirit. Beloved, I'll come back to that in a moment because uh, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is against principalities and powers and spiritual rulers in the high places. I mean, sometimes it's on a personal level. And I felt there were the people on a sort of personal level where um, um, certain things are just fighting you. In fact, in a particular instance, I felt a sense of a tunnel. You know, uh, I don't know what names of tunnels here, but there's a tunnel I drove through as we were coming uh, from the south. Uh, I, I can't remember what place. But it, all of a sudden, it became dark, and I was feeling a sense of somebody going through what feels like a tunnel, like the light is shut off, like you've been going in this not knowing for quite some time. And a feeling of fright, fear, frustration, and when is this kind of thing going to end? Like, God is there, but you just feel a sense of as if you've been enclosed, cut off a little bit, surrounded by people, but quite lonely. I pray if, that, if you identify with that, uh, it's a sign that the Lord wants to answer you this morning. And may God answer you by fire. Amen. <laughs> um, so that was just a little experience I had. I don't know what it means. The only thing I think is a sense of maybe um, uh, uh, we, a sense of heightened battle, but at the end of it, we are more than conquerors in Christ. Can I hear a better amen there? Amen. I think that deserves a better amen because we are more than conquerors in Christ. Can I hear a good amen? amen. That is a reality. Okay, so let's move on. I'll come back to that. And maybe if we have a little time, maybe we can pray for one or two people. Is that all right at the end? Um, so, in our journey to our next town, the enemy many times would stand in the way of that. He doesn't want us to move on in God. He doesn't want us to get involved with the next thing that God wants us to do in his kingdom. Uh, I, as I said, we are, I'm helping and involved in a number of churches. And there are many times that you could find a church that the enemy stands up quite strongly to oppose the next town, to make sure you don't get there. Now, let's explore this for a little moment. Jesus is on one side. Look at verse uh, 32, verse 33. And um, after a wonderful revival, the disciples come to him, and they say to him, um, Master, let's go back. But Jesus said, no, let's move on to the next down. I want to talk about a pioneering spirit. A pioneering spirit is embracing the new thing that God is doing. Am I right by saying our God is a God of new things? In fact, in Isaiah 43 verse 19, uh, it says this in Isaiah 43 and verse 19, we are reminded when God says, I am a God, uh, uh, behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth Shall you not know it? I'll make a way in the wilderness, even rivers in the desert. He is a God of a new thing. May the Lord do a new thing in your life in this season. It's one of us. I do believe, I just feel right, a sense and the freedom to say this before the church even this morning, that uh, Jubilee Church, uh, there is a new thing that God is doing here. I don't know all the details, but uh, that verse is encouraging me that he will make a way even in the desert. He will make a way where there seems to be no way. Jesus is suggesting to the disciples that yesterday may have been brilliant, but tomorrow is even better. So, he's been at a place of revival, but he's telling them to go to the next town. Jubilee, let's go to our next town and embrace the new thing that God is doing. It's a spirit of initiation. It's a spirit of embracing the new day. It's a spirit of allowing people uh, whom we haven't even seen to become who God means them to be. It's a 
place where God uh, begins to bring in our midst, even people we never thought could come. Uh, it's, a pe- it's a place where God opens opportunities. New towns are opened, physically or spiritually. Or it could be just situations. Yeah, a family that has been trusting God for something uh, fresh. Your new town will be a breakthrough into your own. You've been maybe without a job, without a means of supporting yourself. Your new town will be a new place where God just opens and settles you into your own. A new town for some of us ministry could be a new place you've never been. Even a new nation you've never been to like Zambia. Uh, so I don't know. New town. It could be Ukraine. It could be Turkey. It could be whatever. Or a new town could be just something you get involved in next door. Whatever it is, if it's what God has for you, it's your new town. And I'm encouraging you to embrace that. Why do people not embrace the next thing? Look at the disciples. The disciples are telling Jesus, let's go back. Why? Because of the, that's one reason why we don't embrace the next town. We like the familiar. How many don't like the familiar? I mean, I like the familiar things. I, like to, I mean, I like to shop to where I've been to. In fact, I'm one of those who don't like shopping. Uh, so, so, uh, one of the uh, many that don't like shopping very much. My wife likes shopping. Any half opportunity to go shopping with my daughter, they go for shopping. And um, uh, I've been joining them lately. Uh, I'm praying for grace, grace for shopping. Um, yeah, so uh, partly to ensure that uh, I keep the card, uh, but, but, but partly to, you know, just encourage Lillian as she, she shops. If, you can, she, if she can shop my way, then that would be better. Like me, I just go, I'm looking for milk, sugar, but, but, but I go pick milk, sugar, and I'm out. Uh, Lillian likes to look at everything um, and the story behind everything and how the prices are going. Is that beautiful? Amen to those who like shopping. Uh, you should pray for us. <laughs> uh, so, um, but you see, you, you get to a place, uh, let me just jump ahead of myself there. You, you know, uh, you, you, you get to a place where you, you've got to embrace that which God has for you, that which God uh, is doing in your life. The disciples, uh, the thought I want, uh, that's gripping me at the very moment, I'm, I'm just getting some flashbacks in the spirit at the moment. This may go where we didn't intend it to go, uh, but is that all right if it goes where we didn't plan? Could God just take this over, yeah? All right. Uh, but let's stick with this for a moment, you know. Uh, we all like the familiar. We all like to be where we, we, we go. I go to shops where I know where everything is so I don't spend time. We all like the familiar. We're, and uh, sometimes when God is doing something new, it's very difficult to embrace it because it's unfamiliar. And um, um, if God says, I'm bringing you to a new place, that is a difficult experience. Why don't people embrace the new? Because sometimes the old is popular. Do you remember what the disciples said? Let's go back. Why? Because people are looking for you. Um, Ford, who uh, invented the Ford car, Henry Ford, I think one time he was asked, when they did this Ford, uh, they just came up with it with the engineers, and he was asked one day why he didn't ask his customers what they wanted. And his answer was, they would have voted to have a better horse <laughs> instead of Ford, a Ford car. Well, the point they're trying to make there is this, that sometimes popularity is not necessarily the best thing. Okay? And have you noticed that God doesn't call for a vote? He just calls you. If he had a vote, we probably could have better people voted into pastorate. Yeah? But he calls some funny people into ministry. 
but that's God. <laughs> you know, and as a church leader, sometimes I say, Lord, why don't we have this one instead of, why don't we do that, 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 that? That's a good idea. But you see, God is sovereign. And because God is sovereign, uh, he knows what's best for us. Um, I didn't choose to be born Zambian. Apparently, God decided all that. And uh, neither did you choose to be who you are. God decided. Uh, because and God is sovereign and he chooses what's best for us. The point I'm making here is when the disciples says people are looking for you, the opinion they had actually was for Jesus to go back. So if the 12 disciples decided to vote, they would have voted the best thing. It doesn't make any sense for you when you are so popular, when you have the city all gathered, and then you walk away. That doesn't make marketing sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. Even church growth sense, if you've got so many people, stay there. But Jesus says, I must go. Now listen, um, I don't know about in the UK. In Africa, people's opinion is very, very important. In fact, we live in a village. I mean, we live with a village mentality. Very few people will shoot off to do what they feel they need to do. No, it's got to be agreed. It's something that's agreeable by the village. And that's why you find most of us Africans, we suffer from the disease they call crabitis, which is, you know, crabs. I'm told we don't have many crabs in Zambia. That the way you keep crabs in a bucket, live crabs, is how? You don't have to do anything. You just keep them there. They will stay there. Why don't they just go out? Because when one tries to climb out, the others climb behind them and then they fall back in the bucket. Uh, that's very common for us in Zambia. We keep each other in the same place. And uh, that's partly uh, part of uh, our, our challenge. Um, do not live your life by popular opinion. We live our lives by God's opinion. Is that all right for me to say that? Um, the, sec the third thing I noticed there, uh, that people don't move on because it requires no major faith. To take a new step, it requires faith. To stay where you are, you... You don't need any more faith than you already have to stay where you are. And so it's a challenge of faith. And finally, we, most people would fear the unknown. How shall it be? We know this town. We are popular. Why should we go in the next town? We don't know if you'll be welcomed. I don't know. What is stopping you from stepping into your next town? Maybe it could be some of the above or others. Look at Jesus' mentality, secondly, there. Jesus' mentality was, let's move on with what God has. Let's go to the next town. Now, why was Jesus thinking so different? Can I suggest three things from this passage of Scripture? Number one, look at verse 35. Look at what the disciples did after the crusade or after the revival and what Jesus did. We are told that Jesus did what? In verse 35, early in the morning... He woke up, and where did he go? He went, he departed, went to a dis desolate place, and there he prayed. I wish it said there they prayed. He was alone. He prayed alone. I mean, you've got 12 disciples, for goodness sake. I mean, how can you be alone? Uh, because prayer is not popular. If you ask any church leader what's one of the most difficult uh, meetings to hold in the church, to sustain in the church, it's prayer. Prayer is very, very difficult. I was very blessed this morning, Sarush, and uh, I was so blessed with so many people who came to uh, the early morning prayer meeting this morning uh, just to pray for this service. So you're doing great. I was so blessed. I've been in many churches where even the service before, there's two people uh, and one of them is the leader of the church, and the other one, uh, probably one member who doesn't know what's going on, so he just ends up at the prayer <laughs> So prayer meeting is very, very difficult. Um, but the reason this prayer was important because Jesus got his direction from his intimacy with God. So after he had prayed, he knew what he needed to do. 
The disciples were listening to people. Jesus was listening to God. Who are you listening to most? Is your life directed by what people are saying or by what God is saying? Beloved, can I just say that to encourage our Jubilee this morning? Prayer is so central to the life of the church, to the direction of the church, especially as we move on to our next town, especially as we embrace the new things that God wants to do. Prayer should inform our direction. The second thing that informed Jesus, apart from his intimacy with God, is his purpose in life. Look at what he says there in verse 38. The last part, he says, Let us go to the next town, why? That I may preach there. Why? For that is why I came. Jesus stuck to why he came. Popular or unpopular, I've got to finish the purpose of God. Um, uh, who, is, who is finishing your purpose? Uh, do you know each one of us, we have a purpose to fulfill? We have, uh, 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 at the end of the day, God will ask us what we did with the purpose of our lives. Look, one day we will all die. Sorry to say that, but we will. Uh, in Africa, we do a lot of funerals. And sometimes when I'm doing a funeral, I have to remind people that, um, you, you know, we'll all come to this point. Okay, uh, it's not a funeral, so I'm so sorry about that. But let me just use that illustration, yeah? We'll all die, and when your life is finished, what will be the summary of your life? I don't know about here, but in Zambia we do a life history. What do you call it here? An obituary, is it? Uh, uh, that people would uh, read about you. A eulogy, yeah, that's it. Eulogy? Yeah. Who writes that? Well, people behind who are left, they will write for you. Uh, people you didn't like sometimes, they will write your eulogy. Um, but... I thank God it's usually family, people knew very, very well. Now, in Africa, you get to situations sometimes where um, you say, look, I go, as a pastor, I go to them and say, we need to say something about the one who's died. So can you write something? And uh, um, they, say, they have got to give me something that I should say because you need to say nice things about people when they are dead. Uh, and sometimes, because of that, we are stuck. It's like... It's like, I've got nothing to say about this person. It's like, well, so I go to the family. I said, can you tell me what he did? I mean, just anything, anything worthwhile talking about. You can't just talk about, no, he spent all day watching telly. I mean, that, that's, that's okay, but it's not, you can't say that when they are dead, can you? Or, or he spent all day watching football or whatever. Uh, you need to find something worthwhile they did. So now I try to remind my members, please, don't tempt us to make up things that you, <laughs> you didn't do when you were alive. So do something worthwhile that we can talk about when you are dead. <laughs> no, that's not you. That's what I tell my, our people in Africa. Because, you see, there's some people, I found that some people when they, you know, like, it's just, it is a funeral because you've got so much to say. It's very hard. Yes, you've lost somebody. But this life was so well lived. How about yours? Let's say you die today. Okay, you're not, but let's say you die. What will they say? What will be the summary of your life? Like, you loved prayer. Yeah? You lived your life for others. That's a popular one. He lived for others. Are you? You know, and sometimes we use this because it's nice to say. But I thank God for those of you who realize that our life has to count for something. Jesus realized that. That's why he says, I have to preach. I can't just hang around and do what's popular. I've got to do my purpose. That's why I'm here. Is it okay for me to ask you, why are you here? Have you sorted that out? I mean, are you doing it? Amen. The third reason why Jesus acted differently to go to the next town, it is because it says in there that I may preach there also. He was global-minded. His mind was not just on now and here. His mind was, he was thinking about other people, other towns as well. 
Um, you know, um, I keep reminding myself of that, that you see, beloved, there is so much we're doing, there's so much I'm doing now, but beloved, there's much more that God has for me. And in my, um, uh, in my little life, whatever I am doing, I've got to have a similar mindset to Jesus that there's much, much more that God has. And if God has much, much more, then I can trust him to take me there. Hallelujah. Oh, I'm here to encourage Jubilee. You have much, much more. Yes, you've done so much, but there's so much more. There's more towns. There's more blessing, more situations. Yes, it's good to look back and the good things that God has done, but there's much, much more that God is about to do. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, let me wrap up this in encouraging you this. Just to recap where we're coming from, uh, I've talked about things that stop us from embracing God's next thing. I've talked about why Jesus embraced the next thing, his mentality of connecting with God in prayer, of uh, sticking to his purpose, and of um, having a global mindset uh, of missions. Let me finish by simply saying this. A lot of people do not uh, fulfill their next town because your next town has enemies. How many of us remember the story of Joshua in the Old Testament? There was a promise that they would go into the promised land. The one thing that amazes me about the story of Joshua is that although God told him, I have given you the cities, they had to fight to get the cities. Hello? I ask myself, if God has given you something, why do you have to fight for it? God has given you something, you must just get it. It should just come to you. But no, there seems to be some battles. And it seems to suggest, actually, that even as we move on to our next towns, there will be some battles. There will be certain things that are stopping you from taking your next level. And let me just talk about that in a moment, because we notice there that uh, in verse, which you won't see there, is the last verse, verse 39, and uh, we'll uh, read it in my in my verse 39, that, uh, verse 39 says this, So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Did you hear the last bit? He did what? Say that again. I know it's, it's getting late, so let's do some responsive preaching here. He did what? Driving out demons. Okay, so I'm, I'm from Africa, and as you know, all the demons have left UK, they've come to us. Uh, you are casting them out a long time ago here in the UK, so they've come to Africa. We do cast out a lot of demons. But you see what? As I've been coming to the UK, I'm seeing quite a lot of oppression. This is Halloween week, is it? Yeah. You know, so there's a heightened awareness of the spiritual. There's this funny thinking that actually the West has gone so secular, so rational in their thinking that the spiritual dimension is not important. Is that correct? I know some said yes, some said no. Um, I've been looking at that question. I'm, I'm, I'm spending a couple of weeks at Cambridge uh, and looking at what scholars have done, some of the research that's going on. I'm really having a wonderful time. But the basis is this. They may be moving away from spiritual, from biblical spirituality to other spirits. The re there is a lot of sense, search for a certain level of spirituality, and unfortunately for a lot of people, that's not biblical spirituality. It's connecting to all sorts of mysticism that is happening. And... Um, because of that, from the Bible, beloved, there's a lot of oppression that people are going into without knowing what's going on. Sometimes it sounds fun. Somebody prayed actually earlier about the power of God. You know, people are looking for power, spiritual power, ability to do things in the mystical, you know, and without knowing exactly how that's going on. But beloved, where we are coming from, this Bible is talking to me about there is a spiritual world out there. And as Jesus was going into the next town, he had to deal with some spiritual realities. 
There is a battle for the next phase of your life. There is a battle sometimes for things that God wants us to do, wants to do in our lives. So Jesus confronted the spiritual realm. Any oppression. I'm always encouraged by Acts chapter 10, verse 38. You remember that verse, Acts 10, verse 38? I quote it for you. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth, who went about going everywhere, doing what? Healing all those who are oppressed of the devil. Healing those who are oppressed of the devil. The devil is oppressing people, and Jesus confronted that. He dealt with the spiritual realm. Paul reminds us that we do not fight against flesh and blood. We fight against principalities and powers and spiritual forces. So, even this morning, beloved, can I suggest to you that in the spiritual realm, as Joshua was confronted by enemy armies, we as Christians, and more so we as churches, as we take new territories, there is spiritual opposition. Can I hear the men if you agree with me? And so what we're going to do is learn to fight our battle. Paul says we fight against principalities, against powers, against spiritual rulers in high places. Uh, after devoted, some of you were there, uh, the Lord uh, led, led us just to pray for something that was completely un, unexpected. And out of that, there's been some amazing testimonies. Even yesterday, I met a lady who said she had come to devoted, um, in her own words, depressed. She had been depressed for quite some time. And uh, she said she had been obviously on medication and all other things. But uh, in that small moment, those of you who are there at devoted, as we confronted the oppression, especially the mental oppression, that some of the conditions, uh, beloved, uh, could have a spiritual connotation. I'm not saying everything is. But how do you know what is and what's not? Here's what. If it is, it will have no alternative solution. I've got a medical doctor here, so... I've got to be careful what I say. I'll stick to the Bible. Uh, <laughs> if, if the oppression somebody's going through is of a spiritual nature, like the Bible says there that Jesus healed all those who were oppressed of the devil. So there is such a thing as being oppressed by the devil. Now, um, you have two positions here, beloved. You could either take a very rational, sort of pragmatic view of this and turn it into a debate. But let me suggest to you that the person who's being depressed does not need a debate. They know what oppression is. They can feel it. They see it. If it's happening in the family, they, they know it. They don't need some big theology to tell them what's happening. They know. Uh, because it's a reality. It's not some fictitious thing. Uh, so the demonic oppression it is. Anyway, with this lady, uh, as she came to the front and we, we just prayed, we, we just prayed a, a short prayer. But it was a special type of prayer. And I'm not just suggesting to go around the churches. I'm preaching at Hosham uh, next Sunday, Saturday and Sunday. Uh, and the verse asked to just do specifically this one, which is a bit scary. Uh, but the verse is to just talk about um, uh, spiritual warfare and that and we'll be doing that next weekend but the point is i don't want to be a specialist in that because it is a church thing if jesus went about healing those who were oppressed it's, it's not a ministry for some specialized christian hello it's a ministry for all of us it's a, it's a ministry for the church in fact jesus says in matthew 16 those who believe in my name they shall cast out demons. How many believe in the name of Jesus? Good. So you shall cast out demons. Amen. Uh, and, and you know, um, the issue here is an issue of authority. Jesus went about doing good. The one thing that distinguished Jesus from the Pharisees, you can mention a lot of things, but there is one thing you notice in this same scripture, in this same 
chapter 1, is that when Jesus taught, he taught as one who had authority. So it's the authority that distinguished Jesus' teaching from that. That's why Paul says, I did not come to you in word only, but in the demonstration of the power of God. In other words, we don't just preach an empty gospel, beloved. We preach a, a, a gospel which is the power of God unto salvation. So there is a power, there is an authority to the gospel we preach. Yes, we say nice words, but they are more than nice words, beloved. It's power to deal with things in people's lives. My time is up. Is that all right? Have I blessed you this morning? I don't know how we're doing this. Let me just summarize, and then we can do a little bit of prayer. Number one, um, feeling that maybe what God encouraged me to tell you this morning is to encourage you that God is taking you to your next town. Whatever that is. Um, may the Lord encourage you this morning. As Jesus says, let us go. He's invited you with him. What is it that's stopping you from going to the next town? Is it fear? Is it people's opinion of you? Is it familiarity with the old? Or is it just a, a, a kind of, look, I don't know what shall be, therefore I'm not going. Join him. When you think about Jesus, he's reminding us that it's a place of connecting with God. One of the things I felt as, as I was praying for you and the church this morning, as we shall pray, is an intensification of prayer. There will be in this church a, a, a clear move of just a desire for prayer, right? I, I'm, just, I'm just feeling in the spirit there's just this desire. In fact, I remember a lovely lady, I don't want to embarrass her by uh, calling her out in the service, who prayed for me just before I preached at Devoted. The lady who prayed for me, uh, I, I didn't know her name. I was to preach the following day, and then she just, is it the same day? or the, I can't remember if it was the night before. But she just stopped me, and she said, look, I just feel I should pray for you. I didn't know her name. I said, yeah, please. And she prayed for me. And later on, I, I came to know that she's from this church. You are a prayerful church. You are a church that uh, um, is rediscovering the power of prayer. In family time, the power of prayer. Can I encourage you? As you go to the next town, prayer is central to all we do. Uh, because without prayer, guess what? Even as we go into the Halloween week, we cannot just stand there and feel hopeless that there's nothing we can do with all these razzmatazz of spiritual confusion and praying, some of us grandparents, praying that our grandchildren will not be caught up in the some of the spiritual evil that's going on. But I want to assure you, grandmother, grandfather, that you're not just hopelessly hoping that that won't happen. You have the power in the name of Jesus to stop it. That as we pray, we are praying as those with authority. Amen. As those with authority. When I, we prayed for this lady, and it's not just me. When I prayed for this lady, I didn't know what her pr issue was. We spoke that any oppression be broken. And in her own words, and I met her yesterday at the meeting. She said, after that moment, my life has been different. The, the Word of God is able to break things. Uh, if it's a spiritual oppression, beloved, it should be broken here. You are in the right place. It won't be broken in a medical hospital. Uh, a, a spiritual oppression will not be broken by counseling. And that's why sometimes people are in spiritual oppression and all we're doing is pastoral counseling. That's important. But you've got to cross the line and deal with it. Jesus says you shall cast out. Hello? So and that's not something special for some specialized people. All of us have been given authority we just have to learn to use it. So in a moment, I'll be asking us for just two, two, two prayer points. For those of you, few, few, we can spend a little moment praying together for two things. Number one, if those of you, you just feel there is a next town. As I've been praying, you just feel there is a, a, a nudging in your spirit for something next. 
and, and you just want to step in by faith. You feel a calling, a draw to something next. We just want to pray and stand with you that God would grant faith and clarity and propulsion into your next town. Amen. The second area is uh, for those who may feel there is some kind of oppression that I just need broken over my life. And um, maybe it's not you. Maybe it's somebody connected to you. Uh, I was in the Lake District. Uh, uh, we were ministering there with Lillian. And there was uh, a clear sense that we just talked about something we talk about a lot um, in Africa and in spiritual deliverance. And now we're dealing a lot with in the UK. And this is one of the signs of spiritual oppression it's the repeated nature of that oppression for generations. From grandma to mom to you. And now you can see signs in your kids or in your grandchildren. The kind just like, it's not just about genetics and, uh, you, you know, but you, you're seeing some issues that just seems to rhyme through. And that's one of the signs of an oppression is that sometimes it's just a condition that you just see so clearly running through generations. It's there in the Bible. Um, and that's one of the things you notice. This can't be a coincidence. There is something happening here. Where God gives you the spiritual discernment to see it, confront it, and break it. It's as simple as that. Denial is what has kept it actually going. When nobody confronts it, when nobody says, this is it, let's deal with it, let's pray, let's break this thing, let's stand on the word of God and see this thing broken. Uh, if nobody does that, it's permission to the enemy to continue the oppression. Is that all right for me to say that? So, with, uh, if, if this is family, so this is safe, safe ground. If you feel that there is something that needs to be broken, you know, there's just something that needs to be broken, and, and we just want to stand with you and see that broken. Amen. All right. Let, shall we all stand? Shall we all stand? Let's give a clap offering to Jesus, if that is true. I'm under your... Yeah, yeah. You keep leading us through. The band, please, can come. Why don't we just close our eyes and thank God for Jesus and the journey we are all on. Just, uh, we want to thank you, Lord. Because you call us on a journey. You said, let's go to the next town. Thank you, Father, for the journey of faith of Jubilee Church. Let's start by praying for our church. I felt this morning at 2 o'clock that we need to pray for Jubilee. And I will pray and stand with the leadership, stand with all of you. And, you know, many of you, you identify with what I'm saying, that there's been some spiritual conflict in the spirit. We do not fight flesh and blood. Let's pray for our church. Father, we praise you for Jubilee Church, this wonderful church, a church with such a legacy, a church that has produced apostles, a church, Lord, that is impacting nations. We thank you, Lord, that even this morning as we pray for Jubilee, we are asking that that which you started, you will complete. We stand, O oh God, on Matthew 16 and verse 18. Matthew 16, verse 18, we stand on that over Jubilee. Your word declares that you are building your church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So we declare that no gate of hell shall prevail against this church according to your word. Therefore we speak to the gates that are battling against this church. Gates that are battling against the members of this church. We thank you because according to your word we are more than conquerors. And therefore we bind every machination of the enemy. Any evil altar raised against this church. Any evil machination. Lord, we speak in the name of Jesus. The word of God says we overcame him by the word of God, by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony. We declare, dear Father, the blood of the Lamb. Lord, you bought this church with your blood. You've cleansed it with your blood. We pray, dear God, you're building this church. And we declare victory. We declare that the next town for Jubilee is a reality. Father, we thank you for many more things you are about to do. 
We thank you for the breakout in prayer over this church. We thank you for ministries being birthed. Father, we thank you for opportunities in our communities to be a blessing even deeper to many situations. We pray no power, no gate formed against us shall prosper. Isaiah 55 verse 17, we declare over Jubilee that no weapon formed against this church shall prosper. Any word that's spoken over this church, we condemn in the name of Jesus. Can I, can I just ask the church to pray for one thing? Uh, Isaiah 55 verse 17, we'll pray that before we pray for individuals. We've got to start to, by praying with the ch- for the church because that's our umbrella. This is our house. This is where we live. If the church is under attack, then we are all under attack, aren't we? Um, but I'm, I'm not suggesting an overwhelm. The church can never be overwhelmed. We are more than conquerors. We are on the winning side. Um, but Isaiah 55 verse 17, there's one thing I saw. That verse says, No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every word that is spoken against you, we cancel or condemn in Jesus' name. So we have the authority to cancel any negative words. As I was praying this morning, I saw more like an avalanche of words, negative things that have been spoken. Somehow, I just feel as a church, we are agreeing in authority of the word of God, no word spoken against this church shall stand. We are according to the word of God. Father, we pray. Let's agree. Just pray for the church. Just pray over that one. Just cancel. It's simple as that. Just speak the word of God over the church. This church is more than a conqueror. Father, any negative words spoken against any individual or over the church, we cancel in the name of Jesus. We are praying, Father, this church shall be according to the word of God. Father, it's a, a, it's a, it's a place of victory. It's a place of unity. It's a place of advancing the kingdom of God. It's a place of love. It's a place of connecting with you. Father, it's a place of breakthroughs for individuals and for families. We thank you. It's a place of unity. In the name of Jesus, we receive our breakthroughs in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now we want to pray for our individuals in those two groups. If you just feel you need prayer. I know.